back to a run forester run episode of the first time watchers podcast because we like to watch my name is tim costa and this is walter vinci and those crickets you hear is the sound of hermano de silva taking down those street ruffians one motherfucker at a time uh we're, we're all alone wally that's just you and i tim you and me nobody likes us it's Not like it? old days just like the old days tim it's just you and me I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Before I got replaced by Brendan. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes. Oh. Oh, <laughs> you, got, you got me all excited and, and, flood, and flustered right now. Uh, well, podcat's here. He's, he's chilling. The podcat. That's very good. Hey, if people don't know, Wally has a cat. We call it the podcat. Yes, because he always wants to sit on my lap while we're doing the, uh, doing the show. Did he watch the movie with you? Uh, yes, he does, actually. Do, do, you, to... do you think that he can comment on the movie? Uh, yeah, he did. Actually. Oh, okay, good. We'll get into that. Uh, moving on, what we like to do on the FTW podcast is find a movie that none of us have seen, watch together, and then discuss. These movies could be new, they could be old, or something that's on all of our lists of shame. And if you'd like to send feedback, remember you can email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. In this episode, in honor of the late, great Robert Forster, we'll be discussing his 1983 film, Vigilante. But before we get into that, it is time for Yay or Nay. This is the part of the show where we, or maybe just me, uh, discuss what we have seen recently on our own. While you, I, I have not had a chance to watch much of anything. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. I'll try to run through these pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, one of my favorite slasher films is from 1988. It's called Child's Play. And, okay. And that's, of, all the, of all the slasher films, horror movies, this is the one that I find the most ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous, but it's fun. Uh, because of the... I, I, I have to go back and rewatch. I've only seen it like once, and I was like, "How am I supposed to be afraid of this thing?" Uh, well, it's not a matter of being afraid; it's a matter of having fun with it and getting on its wavelength. It's, uh, a movie that's not fun is the remake from from this year, uh, Child's Play, with uh, you know who plays the mom, Aubrey Plaza. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, not not a not a good. Uh, not not a good casting. I, I like Aubrey Palazzo in a lot of things. She is not cast well in this. The mother of a thirteen year old son. She's the mother of a thirteen year old son, by the way. First off, yeah, I can't buy that. I can't buy that whatsoever. Uh, gives a uh, a toy doll for his birthday, unaware. It's more sinister nature. What do you remember? How how did the original Child's Play, uh, the doll get? Uh, possessed. How do you remember that? I could have sworn it was like he was like researching black magic at well, some point before he got executed. No, well, c- close. He was running away from the cops and he is about to die, and he transfers his soul via magic, via black magic, to yeah. this doll. And all right, so he, I, I must have it twisted with like a little bit of shocker too, because I know there was like right. an ex- I thought there was an execution in there somewhere. Right. So in this one, at the beginning, it's it's at the toy factory in Vietnam, and there's a disgruntled employee who's going to be fired. All he does with the computer chip that he's uh, processing is um, uh, disable all the inhibitor, in- inhibitors. That's all he does. Okay. That's what turns this this doll evil. So it basically, like he, it, it's it's Hal that can move around a little it's, bit more. Well, it's like a virtual assistant. It's like uh, uh, an Alexa. If Siri became mad at you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's the dumbest fucking thing because. It removes all sense of 
suspension of disbelief because it's so rooted in in uh, you know senses of reality. You know, yeah. and I get that the idea of rogue technology, uh, you know, is necessary in this day and age to try to play upon its themes, but it's been done to death. And I mean, it's just handled so poorly without any logic. It's really mind-numbingly dumb. The, the kid is 13 years old, and the stuff that he does and, and how he reacts to a lot of situations just doesn't make any sense for a 13-year-old. And the tone is all over the place. Are you horror? Are you comedy? Are you horror comedy? It, there's, it can't pick a lane. It's, it's bad. I, I didn't like it. I, I thought I was going to have fun with it. Apparently, a lot of other people have had fun with this movie. I did not have fun with this movie. And it's not rooted in my nostalgia because I, as as soon as you take away any kind of relationship to the original movie, also, the way they get to Chucky is the name, naming the doll Chucky is so piss poor. Uh, it's not even the original doll's name. It's it's a little... Acronym? No, it's a little buddy doll, uh, and you can name it yourself because it's a smart, it's a smart home assistant type of thing. Oh, um, I see. And you can name it. And the thing is, it's this doll is like slightly malfunctioning at the beginning, and it doesn't hear the name or or whatever Andy says correctly. And whatever he says sounds nothing like Chucky. So then the doll says Chucky, and the Andy's like, "No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. It doesn't even sound like what I said." That. So he says, "I'm Chucky," and I'm like. What the fuck? The only reason they did that is to play upon the original movie, to have that sense of nostalgia. It's so bad. It's bad. It's bad. Avoid. Not a good movie. Nay. Steven Soderbergh came out with a movie uh, this past Friday on nope. Netflix called The Laundromat. It's about, and? It's about the Panama Papers. It's fine. It's fine. It, it It's problematic. It's uh, It tries to be the big short-esque, uh, and it, it does it okay with Antonio Banderas and Gary Oldman uh, talking to the camera. It wears uh, its, its themes and its message very much on its sleeve, especially at the, at the very end. It's, it's kind of like, what, what the hell's going on here? Uh, I get it. Look, Soderbergh has a knack for showing the tricks of the trade and the peek behind the curtain. Think the Oceans movies. Think um, Traffic. Uh, this this falls in that pile for better or worse. It's, it's fine. I, I, it's not, nothing to rush out and see. It's, it's all right. Catching up on my best of the decade, a, a rewatch of Private Life from last year. You remember this movie, Wally? I do. Yeah. Uh, this movie's fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure you remember it fondly. It's it's perfectly cast, small scale, wonderfully personal. You know, and these types of stories are right up my alley where they're singularly focused on like, it, it, don't you remember how if real life it felt? Like, yes, I remember this is one of those movies. I, I can't remember if I saw this after we get off our top ten if it managed to make it into my top ten. I, mean, I feel like I saw it afterwards and went, no, son of a bitch, I wish I, I saw this earlier. I remember doing our top ten, and when I mentioned it, you were like, ah, oh, damn it, I wish I had remembered that, and I would have included it in, in my top uh, five yeah. or ten. So you had seen so it, it before. Absolutely would have made it I loved this movie when I saw it. I was like, holy shit. Catherine Hahn was robbed of an Oscar nomination. She is so good in this movie. And so is Paul Giamatti. They are... They play those parts with such realism, and their chemistry, it's impeccable. They feel like people have been worn down by this process of uh, in vitro fertilization, trying to have a child, and going through all the mechanizations of, of getting that done. The, the emotional toll is really shown in their faces and words, everyday movements. Uh, Tamara Jenkins, the director, I think really does a great job balancing tone, going back and forth between comedy and absurdity and drama. If you remember, there's a scene later on in this movie where they're in bed, and yes, and they're arguing. They're, yes, they're arguing, and it's it's a confrontation that 
is so personal and weighed in reality that it feels earned because we've already spent a lot of time with them. And it's such a good moment because this couple is finally releasing their frustrations. But you know, yep. you know it's going to be okay because their relationship is rooted in that honesty and strength. And, yep. and it's these two have been kind of like hardened by this unfulfillment and they just want it to be all be over. Yep, and they they just let it you know they all it just flows right out. They they have it out and then back to business. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yes, it is one of the better films of the decade. It will probably make my top twenty or twenty five. It's 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 a really good movie. It's streaming on Netflix. It's real easy to watch. But uh, Tim's pick of the week was a movie that was released earlier this year, starring Jesse Eisenberg, called The Art of Self Defense. And uh, are you familiar with this movie? I have. I don't think I've even heard of this movie. Well, it's uh, directed by Riley Stearns. I'm not sure what Riley has directed before, but uh, the plot is: after being attacked on the street, a young man enlists at a local dojo, led by a charismatic and mysterious sensei, in an effort to learn how to defend himself from future threats. The obvious comparison a lot of people have done is is to point to, to Fight Club. Okay. But what I think the art of self-defense does is take everything Joker wanted to be and laughs in its face. This the the themes of that are so obvious and hit you over the head with a hammer in Joker is a bit more subtle uh, and especially a lot more focused in the art of self-defense. It's I think a really good satire and a bit of a deconstruction of masculinity. Uh, there's ideas of hierarchy with the the people in the self-defense class, the karate class, and the sensei, of course, uh, and represented in multiple ways. It shows kind of various, sometimes psychopathic ways to emote. Uh, the dialogue and delivery are all on point with this like elevated sensibility where uh, it's it's very deadpan, and there's nothing flashy about the the camera work or the camera placements, but the the color palette is very appropriate for the style of movie it is. The the way the actors deliver their lines is very appropriate. It's just offbeat enough, but not so much so that it's annoying. Uh, Eisenberg, I think, is perfectly cast as a self-aware beta male who has always been a second-class citizen in everyone's eyes, and he finds a way out of his state in life, but, and he finally escapes after beatings physically and emotionally. So once he breaks all of those bonds, he becomes that ideal man he's always sought. So it's, it's a dark journey, showing his embrace of the bleak side of life, but it's really one of the nicer surprises of the year. I... I it's in my top 10 right now. It's it's really wonderful. I, I, I think you and Hermano, our dearly departed Hermano, will uh, will enjoy this movie. So you might want to seek it out. I'll have to give it a look-see. Well, that was short-lived. I think that might have actually been a record. For the number of times our studio has been destroyed? No, for the shortest amount of time it actually wasn't. Oh, I see you survived, unfortunately. 
I know you're a little sore about the studio, but hear me out. You have a plan. Yeah, well, you, you know what show always has a solid plan? The In Session Film Podcast. That's right, Tim. The In Session Film Podcast is J.D. and Brendan. Mm, who am I being wrecked by Brendan, if you know what I mean? Was that, Tim? What? Nothing, nothing. Each week, the In Session Film Podcast chooses a movie to review. Then creates a top three list based on what they just saw. And this week, the In Session Film Podcast is reviewing Taika Waititi's latest, Jojo Rabbit. And they continue their deep dive into Igmar Bergman's filmography with Wild Strawberries. You can find their show on Apple Podcasts by searching for, you guessed it, the In Session Film Podcast. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. So if you're in the mood for more great movie reviews and discussion, then check out the In Session Film Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Or on the web at InSessionFilm.com. Okay, Walter, what is this grandiose plan of yours now? Well, if you're going to be like that, I'm not going to tell you then. I can't tell if that's better or worse. Hosted by inebriated people That's Kai with the cracking voice And Heather's touched by evil One thinks he's Spider-Man The other is a ninja It's the Man I Love Film Podcast It's the MILFcast Hey everybody, I'm Kai And I'm Heather And we are the hosts of MILFcast The Man I Love Films Podcast The unofficial, official podcast of ManILoveFilms.com This is the podcast where we like to talk about What we've been watching, talk about movies But mainly we just like to drink, be silly And play a whole bunch of games So we think every other week you should grab a drink, snuggle up And let us make sweet love to your ears Otherwise, we'll make sweet love to your couch. So come and find us on iTunes. Just search for MoCast. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Okay, let's talk about Vigilante. When I was a kid, I could sleep with the windows open. I wonder what happened to that. We let it get away from us, Eddie. And now that we want it back, we can't pay for it. This thing's turning my guts. Hey, man, come on, huh? Let it out. Take care of the situation by yourself. Make you feel better. We got a system of laws. We got courts. What the hell are you talking about? System. System, my ass. What goddamn system? Who they're protecting? The scum on the streets or us? One day, some juveniles come to my old man's house. They beat him till he couldn't hardly take a walk or a piss by himself anymore. You know where those punks are now? Still on the street. So I ask myself, what happens if one day some punks come to my house? What's my life worth? That's why I carry that Eddie. Figure that's the answer. That's my judge and my jury. What happens if you do something to me I don't like? Or I don't like the way some guy's got his hair parted? 
Pretty soon you got assholes all over the street looking to blow each other's brains out. And if I do that, what makes me different than the scum? The plot, when his wife and son are brutalized by thugs and a corrupt crimi criminal justice system puts the perpetrators back on the street, a New York City factory worker turns vigilante to find some measure of bloody justice. The director, William Listig. The actors, Robert Forster, Fred Williamson, Richard Bright. Uh, I guess I'll have to start with you, Wally. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so we're, we're doing this in honor of... Uh, Robert Forster, and uh, I i guess it's pretty obvious what we can compare this movie to, but uh, outside of that, what did you, do, do you think Forster elevated the material at all? Uh, actually, in this, I don't think so, actually. I think for this movie, um, the, the character I really wanted to see more of, because I really feel that he is putting in all the work here, is Fred Williamson. I agree. And is is watching this movie going? I kind of really wish this was a black exploitation movie, just like like straight up. Well, I like, think I really I wanted more of Fred Williamson. I wanted more of like his like crusade. Like Robert Forster's character just seemed so like a side character in his own story. Uh, I I I kind of agree with you. It's funny too that the movie starts right on Fred Williamson giving his manifesto, I guess, to incoming recruits. Yeah, his his uh, his his speech is uh, is uh, hype. Yeah, yeah, it it is actually. And when you mention exploitation, William Lustig is an exploitation director. He did the first uh, Maniac. He did the Maniac Cop films, um, and uh, I think uh, Hit List and Relentless uh, fall in the vigilante type of role of, of mold of of movies. So, I I think his forte, you know is in the exploitation genre. I, I would assume even coming back uh, out of movies called, what, Hot Honey and the Violation of Claudia, which he was a producer back in 77 and 78. Uh, I, I think that's how he got, you know, his start. And that's what his uh, his, his mold is there, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I the, the exploitation material is right there, and I think he plays into it pretty well. Yeah, well, what did you think once Robert Forster uh, came on here? Do you, do you think that he changed uh, as the movie went along with his character and his character? No, I don't think so. I think this. I think this shows a lot of flaws in William Lustig's just directional skills. Uh, I think this movie is poorly paced. It's slow. It gets really dull and boring for what's supposed to be a, a revenge exploitation type movie. Uh, it's shot incredibly poorly and you think so yes that that chase scene at, at the end is one of the like you have so much distance between cars there's no there's no tension half oh. of the reason why you watch a car chase is you want that adrenaline rush you want to be on the edge of your seat you know like how are we going to get through this like how are we going to catch up to this guy like are we going to wreck is he going to get away and the way that that chase is shot just in itself the cars are so far apart and not doing anything interesting at all there's no there's nothing to it i see what you mean maybe, just, maybe that is uh an editing problem in terms of trying to heighten the tension there um it, i i think when you look at the stock of the film and the actual look of of how it looks visually i think it's a good looking film i watched this on prime and i think the transfer is is quite stunning to be honest with you i, I would never have guessed that this movie would have been made at this time period because uh, I think it looks so good. 
uh, I, I'm I'm so used to watching films of this ilk that that just don't have good film stock and uh, the the camera moves around a lot more. I think there's a lot of good uh, tracking shots and uh, uh, still shots where the the camera doesn't bounce around a lot. So I, I think visually it's fine. We're gonna. I mean, I'm sure that uh, let's get the 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 elephant out of the room now. Like comparing this to another movie that is also similarly paced, but I think probably better than this, which is Death Wish. Interesting. I, I I'm not sure that Death Wish is any better or worse than this movie. I think Death Wish is at least somewhat better than this by a little bit. Uh, I think the problem is in the in the fact that Robert Forster. You know, comparatively to like Charles Bronson, don't really emote the change. I agree with you. I there is a bit of angry acting uh, at one point. When we get into spoilers, there's there's a, a scene at the end of the movie where the, there is supposed to be a finish to an arc, and I'm like, well, I'm not sure I see this right here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can even compare this to another movie that I really like. Uh, if you've ever seen The Brave One with Jodie Foster, no, I haven't seen that yet. Well, it's it's in a similar look like this. Uh, She's going on revenge, but Jodie Foster in in that movie, you can see the change in her, like as she goes well, throughout like the throughout the movie, and especially at the climactic scene at the end. There, it's a really, I think, really well put together, well acted scene with someone who is is looking to to lash out at the thing that hurt her. I think it's pretty obvious and, that Jodie Foster is a better actor anyways than Charles Bronson yes. and Robert Forster. Yes, I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I will also put that out there too. She, is, she certainly is. Um, but I mean, I've seen a lot of like revenge style movies and that's that's kind of in my wheelhouse. So that's why I feel like this is, just feels flat overall to me. Uh, I, I do find it interesting that it isn't like the start of a, of a vigilante group that these vigilantes are already working the streets that... Forrester decides to utilize once his child is killed. Um, and speaking of that attack, well, actually, before we get into that, what, what do you think about this this group, this gang, this gang of of thugs, this gang of of, of criminals who do do you find it stereotypical at all? Uh, you know, a sign of the times of movies coming out at this time where I think. At this time, yeah, because I think this is supposed to be taking place in, like, a New York City, Chicago uh, area. Because, like, you don't really see, like, a lot of, like, the iconic, like, New York City shots, like the Twin Towers or the Empire State Building. It's true. You do see, I believe, like, the, the Brooklyn Bridge at some point, like, at the beginning of the movie where the kids are play- the kids playing outside. Which is an odd so, scene. Which is an odd scene because it's just there only to show that he's a family man. It it, it really doesn't a family. Yeah, it doesn't serve any other purpose. <laughs> uh, well, so, like, other than setting up the plane, I guess. Exactly. So, you know, seeing that in, in the description that this takes place in New York City, I couldn't tell like where this actually took place. Yeah. You know what I mean, like as far as sense of uh, sense of location. But it could be anywhere and to me this felt very 70s. You know, that 70s and it, that's why I feel like whenever Fred Williamson was on screen, I think it really elevated the movie because it really felt like one of those '70s black exploitation movies where they're, you know, fighting pimps and and uh, you know rapists and you know other like you know street level bad guys with their you know with their bare hands using you know karate and baseball bats. It is funny how 
uh, Fred Williamson is the the glue that holds this all together. He his screen presence is really something. However, I want to compare runs. Robert Forster runs later on in this film, and in the middle of this film, Fred Williamson has a foot chase, and the guy is too big to successfully pull off a a, a run. Especially who he's running after is a smaller guy who yes. is definitely faster, and he does get a, the the upper hand on him, but. Uh, it, I think the chase goes on for too long for me to believe that Fred Williamson could keep up with him. I think that would have been better suited. Like I said, this goes back to direction again. I feel that a movie, a scene like that, would be better suited to Jim Brown knowing the neighborhood. You uh, know what I mean? Uh, no, you I, see, I get it. When you see, like, you see, like that uh, that that drug dealer thinks he gets away, he turns the corner right into Fred Williamson's fists. Exactly. Like, I would. I think that would have been a much better payoff than watching like just this weird quasi parkour thing where it, it did go on way too long. You know what I mean? What do you think about and the then, and then even in the end you get the cutoff but not from Jim not from Fred Williamson. You get it from the other guy, the guy one of the uh, the other vigilantes. Yeah. Uh what about the 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 rules that the vigilante team has it, it, do you get a sense of what these rules are because at first they kidnap and beat up people and leave them alive uh to tell their story i guess but, but or leave them as a message and kill a mayoral candidate exactly dude just just blows them away with a shotgun so like what what is the rules like at what level do you have to be what level of criminal do you have to be in order for you to 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 bite it i, I it's not. It's never actually clear because even even later on, once you know Robert, when Robert Forrester joins them, like the mission is to kill the other guy. And then there's this scene, uh, the courtroom scene, where the uh, the lawyer, the sleazy lawyer, gets paid off. But how is that supposed to help him? Like you don't see the sleazy lawyer paying off the judge. How does he convince this judge to be so lenient in the sentence? I don't, I don't really understand that 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 payoff and that like, well, if he's already your lawyer, then why are you paying him off to do something that he's not going to do anyways? Yeah, I mean, I I think that I think that they like I, like I said, this goes. This is another one of those weird directing shows. Like you shouldn't have even bothered to have that in there. It could have been him just talking with the other gang member. You know what I mean? In the bathroom. Right, and without you know the, the, without the big you know the big payout because obviously he's a lawyer, uh, and I, I read up on this movie a little bit and the actor that plays that lawyer apparently had an alcohol problem while they were shooting, huh? And was like constantly showing up late and in that courtroom scene he actually was late to that day of his filming, no which is why he looks like so disheveled because they had to like drag him out. That and I think that that whole courtroom scene is played off to be a showcase for sexism for sexism how so because the woman lawyer has a a case with affidavits and right and all you know all the proof that this this you know this happened and all the shyster lawyer does is just tell the judge like come on buddy like let's let's it, it, let's do this boys club thing and the judge suddenly turns on her despite the fact that she's got everything put together and it's just like oh no 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 that lawyer yeah the lawyer the uh the defense guy is that uh don blakely uh i i swear i've seen him in so many uh films before uh this the sleazy dude he he, he has such a familiar face so then yeah he goes to jail and this scene in the jail <laughs> is that was so 
weird too. I, I mean, what what is this supposed to provide me for his character arc? Like, like it doesn't, it does harden him a little bit, I guess. But it it, it is it just Forster playing it so straight and narrow throughout the whole thing that he that he isn't being told that he has to uh, to act a certain way or whatever. Is is this on Lustig? Is it on is it on Forster? I, I'm not really sure who to blame here because this whole scene plays out like like uh, something we've seen in uh, the Shawshank Redemption. But who is this guy that helps him out and punches everybody out? And it, at first, I'm like, is this the Fred Williamson's father that he talked about before? And you you never get a sense of who this guy is uh, or why he's deciding to help. Robert Forster. Yeah, I think it's just because like he sees Robert Forster come in, and he you know sees you know this guy like struggling under his his uh, his his thirty day sentence in the prison system because that's what they tell him is he's going for thirty days for contempt. You could do a thirty day stint in prison probably pretty easy. Yeah, you know I, don't know. I mean, I don't but, like they. They make it. They like. They bring him to like Sing Sing, like, like federal penitentiary. Right. It doesn't rather make, than like the county jail. Exactly. Why does he go there for thirty days of contempt? Because they they want to show that it's you know it's a it's a it's a tough place this this prison and it uh, it costs him everything because by the time he comes out his wife's like I'm leaving you. Like, right. She goes from like intensive care to like up on her feet in thirty days. So despite what? like the massive list of injuries that the doctor tells her. Tells him that he that she has. What is this? And no bandages, by the way. None. No, She's moving around like it's no one's business. Well, I mean, she lifts she lifts a shirt and to show her all the scars. But uh, what's up with this gang? Like, why are they so evil and bad? Like, why would this guy decide to kill a kid in with a shotgun? I, I, like, For no reason. What's the reason? What's what? Because is... he's evil, Tim. That's the reason. <laughs> That's what I'm saying is that it just plays into the stereotype, I guess, of the era of street gangs. Got to get it, it must have been from from like a ten or fifteen year period where New York City and Chicago and Detroit are all run down and really bad, and and there's some really bad areas of of town, and and you have to watch out for these street thugs. You have to watch out for these gangs. They're all gonna get you. Watch I think out. It plays into that too, because I mean, I like I remember. You know, hearing all these stories about like crime in New York and sure, and, and I mean, think about like all the stuff that like happens on like New York subways and like movies of the seventies, like people getting mugged, people fighting on you know the subway platforms. Oh, look, my you know, my dad grew up in New York City, and for the longest time when I was younger in the in the eighties, he refused to go down to New York City to visit uh, because of the crime and 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 how uh, worse it had gotten since he had moved out of there from uh, the late 60s. So it, it, it's it's interesting. You know, it, it's it's rooted in, in a in a natural fear and in a somewhat of a reality. Um, but as as with a lot of things, it's exaggerated. You know, it's exaggerated. Yeah. You know, I it also reminds me of the opening to Tim Burton's Batman. That takes place in in this you know, same type of area that is showing in Vigilante or Death Proof or whatever. Yeah, like you know, hookers clearly hitting on the husband of a family man. <laughs> right. You it's, know, like he's walking down the street, thinking, "Hey, honey, you want a good? My wife is right there." So yeah, I'm obviously came, not your target client. And that came out in '89, and then Back to the Future Part Two, where you know the alternate reality with Biff's uh, palace uh, takes place in, or is. Uh, in 1985, but it was filmed in 1990. So it, they're still. It, it really, it's amazing how extended this 
this became even pretty woman in 1990 you know he he drives into the bad area town and he got uh, hookers uh and and uh julia roberts uh hidden on him right there with the with the fancy car yeah, i mean i mean i, I all i can do is i can pr- all, all the only thing that i have like is when i first like went to boston by myself when i was like much younger i all of everything i've ever seen about subways and public transportation at night comes from like movies of the 70s yeah exactly so i went up to go see my then girlfriend and it was it was you know around this time of year it was dark out i knew i was going to be riding this the green line late at night to get up there and so i <laughs> no wonderful i had a coat with a stiletto slipped up my sleeve in case violence on the, the subway platform breaks out i know i know yeah and i get the, i get there and it's it's well lit everyone's hanging out they're just waiting for the train there was nothing crazy about the subway ride. I mean, obviously it wasn't the 70s, but it was one of those weird, like, boy, do I look – I feel stupid right now. All right. So based, I'm, I'm well prepared for this. <laughs> based on the ending of this movie, like I said, we'll get into it in spoilers, but based on the ending of this movie, don't you think that should have played out a little bit sooner so that you can see someone who becomes uh, part of this vigilante group and gets drawn into it? it just a little bit – uh, more to the story because it's it's a very extensive origin story, don't you think? It is, and I think that even even as far as like the way the story is organized with uh, Robert Forster's actions, I think they don't build in the right direction. Because I'll, I'll talk about this again in spoilers because I don't want to spoil the movie, but I'll explain what I'm thinking of in a minute. But we'll make a note of that. There's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, shots of the television of showing characters showing that uh a judge i guess or showing uh a politician uh yes. you know running for office and and saying i'm not a crook it <laughs> just being pompous <laughs> exactly. about it and and i don't know I, I, like i said there's a lot of things i like about this movie but there's a lot of things that kind of hold it back from being even better than it could have been true um, uh, with that, let's get into spoilers. Uh, so the ending of this movie is, I guess, after his wife leaves him, he essentially goes to Fred Williamson and says, "Yeah, I, I'm part of you. I'm part of your group." Oh yeah, that's right. He goes to the uh, the apartment complex and and knocks down the door of this uh, of one of the gang leaders. Yes, and, and shoots uh, and shoots Rico dead. Right, right. Um, and yeah. Oh, so speaking like... of speaking of that shot, there's a see. This is what I'm talking about. Where Listek does know how to use the camera. There's a shot after he shoots him, and the camera is down by his waist, and he puts the gun by his waist. And that shot right there of the gun in the foreground and the the dead body in the background behind the gun is really nice. It reminded me of that scene that the poster for a history of violence. Uh, yes, it, it's just it's just a very well shot framed uh scene uh but also it's weird that the the girl just (laughs) the way this is the exploitation part is because the the gun that fred williamson shoots her with throws her back 20 feet into the bathroom yeah apparently when they did that stunt to the uh the uh the woman who is who is on the cables apparently it yanked her back a lot harder than they expected her to be yanked back really yes (laughs) it's uh it surprised everybody actually. They're like, "Oh shit!" And, but apparently, she was, she ended up you know, coming out of it uh, 
I think more or less fine. Um, but I, know that I was reading about that, and the, like, that had had shocked everybody. <laughs> like, that <laughs> get yanked back so hard. Yeah, and then uh, and uh, I mean. What, how, how does he find the, oh, that's right. He just happens to bump into this guy on the street. On the street. Yep. I mean, come on. You can't, you can't be a little bit more, it's a little bit lazy script writing, isn't it? It's, it's, it is lazy script writing. It's also, I mean, in in the progression of things, like you, you, it it goes kind of, kind of against what, like a, a, a a progress, the, the usual progression, like you'd have, maybe he chases, um, the guy who killed his son and like chases him off that platform in the in the uh, that that quarry that gravel pit. Right. And then you should he should progress like okay I've already I've killed once like have some sort of like upsetness over it some sort of remorse like am I really like this kid like even like like in in like Death Wish after Charles Bronson kills his first mugger he throws up. Like he like runs away right. and is just like overcome and just starts heaving because like he just did something he never thought he was gonna do. Right, I agree. You know, I, and then and then later on he goes into Rico's apartment and shoots him dead because now there's another witness there. You know, what I mean he's getting less of it. And then like, how does he know how to build a bomb? Like I know he like works with like machines. I guess. But well, maybe, I mean, like, yeah, the welders he, that he knows like have some like I, tanks that they can give him. I'm willing to to you know look over that uh, that doesn't bother me at all to be honest um, but i mean even even then like the 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 villain who kills his his kid just does it to be evil like he like the kid's hiding behind like the window and he's like <laughs> see you later sucker i'm like what <laughs> holy well, shit but and the way that all right that's one of the one of the crazier shots in this is the fact that they use like some sort of like chunky mush <laughs> to throw out the window if you saw that <laughs> I did. TV. I did. Like I was like, they just blew that poor kid apart. I know. I know. It's huh. it. Look, I, <laughs> once you go to that level, I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, whatever. Um, but yeah, the first off, he, there's a very brief scene of Robert Forster running. I gotta say, the dude has a great run. He's no Tom Cruise, but yeah, he reminded me of Tom Cruise. There's a little bit of Tom Cruise in there. Maybe a little bit. I mean, this, we, we know how Tom Cruise is my pantheon of of actors and actors who run. There's a very there's a very interesting Venn diagram. Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, but it, unfortunately, it's it's uh, bookended by some really extended and bad uh, car chase sequences. When he gets him to the top of the the gravel pit machinery and whatever, and and throws him off, I, I'm like, well, where's where's the the emotion where it, it, it never felt uh, like there was some sort of redemption or, or any kind of vin- vindication is what I should say uh, for, for getting this last guy who did this. And, and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point to say, Hey, it's never worth it in the end because yes. nothing can, I think that's what his wife says. Nothing can bring his, the kid back and then you're right and then it ends with this this scene of him blowing up the the politician's car and i'm like well that's where the middle part of this movie should be to show me this uh this arc of of vigilantism and seeing hey is it right or wrong is this the right way to go and and then you can play on the media and the public uh getting on the side of 
of uh, Robert Forster or not. And maybe that's when you get too close to Death Wish. Uh, and that's why you're trying to be different here. I get it. But I don't know. Uh, it's hit and miss for me. It, 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 you know what it did? It made me think, is there a sequel to this? <laughs> it was supposed to be a sequel to it, and it never got made. Oh, yeah. Makes sense, I guess. <laughs> um, But, like, even then, like, I was thinking about, like, just how, like, the, these kill progressions still go. Like, you, like, the first time you see Rico, he's in that big car. Like, that car should have been exploded. And the judge at the end should have been the personal touch. I agree. Because, like, then that would have opened up the, the, the door for, like, at least a little bit of dialogue. Like, you set these guys free. You know what I mean? Like, like they took this from me. You, you set them free. And, like, have the, the judge be, you know, kind of admit that he's also a bit of a sleaze himself. Any last things? I, I you know, we're, we talked about Robert Forster a little bit here, so it, it, this was in honor of him. Did, are there any moments that stand out more to you than anything else, or is it kind of flatline for you? It's it basically this movie felt really, really flat. Um, I mean, there's parts where I was like kind of laughing, like during that that long car chase. That there's so much space between the two cars. One of the cars just the one that Robert Forster's driving just drives off the off the street for no readily apparent reason just to hit a bunch of boxes to send them flying. <laughs> Which is like a staple like in a 70s car chase. It's usually some sort of like people on the side of the street or like other obstacles that a car will plow through. But the cars are always closer together. It's true. It's true. And there's like there's like no reason for this car to ever veer off the road. It just doesn't. Uh, I'm trying to think of other Robert Forster films other than, you know, Jackie Brown that are are really good uh, to, to recommend uh, something that he's a little bit more, I don't know, is just a better character and has a better performance. I, you know, and I'm not f- as familiar with the Twin Peaks stuff as I am, the, uh, you know, the Hermano is. Um, this has fallen. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember General his Clegg. role in that. Good Lord. You know, he was in Dragon Wars D War. Ah, I have to go back and rewatch that now. I don't remember seeing that? him. Oh, oh wow. He was in Heroes, the TV series. Huh. Yes, I, I believe I. He's he's the father of one of the one of the other heroes. He's lucky number eleven. <laughs> Firewall. Oh my god, there's a lot of stuff. He, he has a lot of credits, you know. But he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, a lot of people talk about Alligator from 1980. Uh, yeah, 1980 as as being a cool. Uh, uh, Me, myself, and Irene. Yeah, I don't remember that. Uh, the, the Delta Force with uh, Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, he's in the uh, 1998 version of Psycho. Was he now? What's what's his role there? Doctor Simon. Oh, it must have been at the end then. A well loved character actor, I think, for uh, for good reasons, and especially I don't know if you finished uh, El Camino, uh, but his his appearance in that was was welcome. Tim, Tim, Tim. He was in the fucking black hole. Oh yeah, that's right. I've never seen that movie. Oh, Tim! <laughs> I'm putting this on my my second time watch list. Oh boy. All right, let's uh, let's get into grades. Uh, Wally, what grade did you give this? I give it a, a a C. I mean, I really feel that this movie is really elevated by Fred Williams's presence. Um, I was always excited to see him on screen and talk, even if he's like talking through like gritted teeth the entire time. Oh, we didn't talk about how awful Robert Forster's haircut is in this. Oh, it's terrible. Bad haircut. But I well, guess. I guess they're trying to make the the try. I guess the 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 overall idea is to make him less 
superhero looking like you would normally have like an action hero I guess. and make him more everyman. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a B. I enjoyed it more than I than I didn't. I, I think it's it's actually worth a watch. I, I think it's interesting. If you know what you're getting into, Death Wish uh, 2.0, if you will, uh, then, then you could do worse. I say that a lot with the, with movies. You could do worse. <laughs> uh, all right, that does it for this episode of the First Time Watchers podcast. Uh, donate via patreon.com slash first time watchers or buy stuff at zazzle.com slash first time watchers. Talk to us on Twitter at 1sttimewatchers on Twitter. And uh, email us and at first... email us at firsttimewatchers at gmail.com. Good job. Uh, download our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a review. Uh, any feedback, we love it. If you have any suggestions of movies for us to watch, please send a tweet or an email. Speaking of suggestions, let's recommend a movie. I'll go first. Uh, so I had talked about a movie um, a couple of weeks ago uh, from 1972 uh, starring Yafik Koto and Anthony Quinn called uh, Across 110th Street. Uh, two New York City cops go after amateur crooks who are trying to rip off the mafia and start a gang war. So there's similar, eh, kind of, uh, similar material going on in this movie than uh, Vigilante, uh, but it, it's all rooted in, in corruption and the grime of these criminals, and, and the, even the good guys are doing bad stuff, except for Yafik Koto. Yafik Koto is the, one who, the only guy who plays it straight. Uh, but you know, there's also racism in there and dirty cops and, uh, crooked pimps and, uh, everybody's, everybody's dirty and grimy. And, uh, it's a, it's a good movie. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. It's really interesting and has uh, a song that slaps a theme song that slaps, uh, Wally. All right. So you're wondering where you've seen the sleazy, uh, the sleazy lawyer and he was in Rocky. Yes, thank you. And in another movie, which I did not like when I first watched it, but a subsequent watch made me go out and buy it on Blu-ray when it came out, uh, because he's also in a little movie by William Friedkin that came out in 1977 called Sorcerer. Yes. Plays the character of Spider. Wow. And I was looking for, we did a podcast on it, I was looking for the episode numbers I could refer people to if they want to go back and listen to it. But four unfortunate men from different parts of the globe agree to risk their lives transporting gallons of nitroglycerin across dangerous South American jungle. Now, talk about a movie that's shot. Yeah. Let me tell you. Um, especially that bridge scene, everybody. That's like the, the big the big key scene there. Um, but I also think that one of my favorite scenes in this movie is when they light up the trucks. Right. Because I think that's pretty awesome how that's all put together yep. uh, so yeah i would we've done a podcast on it. i don't have the number handy uh because google is not cooperating with me but we did do a podcast on it uh when it hit its anniversary release uh so it is definitely worth checking out absolutely uh stay tuned for our next episode we'll be discussing the latest eddie murphy film my name is dolomite and that's the first time watchers podcast because we like to watch I tried. I tried last minute to get somebody, anybody. Thanks, Hermano. <laughs> hey, I'm not feeling good either. Oh, really? What's I, the matter? I have like the, the worst 
sinus congestion I've ever had in my life. Well, I bet you it's because I've had similar problems with my sinuses, and I think it's because the weather has been so yeah. up and down. It's a lot of people say, and it hasn't like been it's until a the cold l- and damp for a minute, and then it gets hot and and dry, and then it gets damp again. It hasn't been until the last uh, few years that I've experienced it. I've never had problems with my sinuses or or allergies or anything like that. But uh, I'm I'm getting old, Wally. Yeah. Yes, you are. Uh, okay. Also, I mean, also, I mean, you have like little kids, so I'm sure that they're bringing home all sorts of. I have one. Fun. I have one, Wally. Don't don't give me more than one kid. I have enough. I have enough, Wally. I'm dropping off a bunch at your house. No, stop it, please don't. Oh, God, I got, them, I got them from the border. It's fine. Oh God, I slept maybe 90 minutes last night. Really? Because of my sinuses. That's how bad they were. Oof. Yeah. Don't you love hearing people complain about their their woes? Oh yeah, it's great. I'm sorry. It doesn't bother me. I'm by the people vent. Except whenever I go, oh man, things things are kind of rough right now. They go, oh, gotta go, bye. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, awesome. I would never do that to you, Wally. I know you wouldn't, Tim. 